Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Pounding the Table. We went through seasons one and broke out of the sea. Season two got a little rocky with the bear market and on to season three, we finally wanted to shake things up. We promised over and over again, things would be a little different and candidly, I'll be the first to admit we didn't deliver on making those changes until now. So ladies and gentlemen, welcome to season four, episode one, the rebirth of Pounding the Table. Before we unveil our newest host, I want to give a quick shout out to our sponsors over at StockTwits. Join millions of investors to talk about stocks, crypto, a whole lot more. We're going to do a lot more in terms of partnerships with them, and we'll be announcing those in the coming weeks. So until then, check out StockTwits.com and join us on the conversation. Time to introduce the third host. He's bringing the electricity of a socket, also known as the rocket. He makes stocks so easy, just like a free throw. Ladies and gentlemen, our third host, Joey Salitro. Joey, welcome to Pounding the Table. Thanks, guys. I feel like this is just a long time coming. We've been talking about me coming on as a guest for, geez, over a year now. And the fine has finally come, freed up some, some time to join you guys officially as your third host. It's going to be a little weird, you know, I'll have to say, so Tony, I'll say, so Joey is going to be. I get to say so to someone now. I get to say, so Joey, all Joey. Now we got two people that know stocks on the show. This will hopefully provide some balance. We were talking about this a year ago. Then we brought it up again six months ago. So we finally wrangled you in, man. An absolute legend on Finfoot. Not just Joey Rock. It's the guy's an absolute wizard as well. So we're excited to bring him on as a third host here. Can you give a brief introduction of, of who you are? I guess your background and investing. And really, where the heck were you the past uh, two years? Well, yeah. So a little bit on my background. I started investing back in March, 2009, which was just absolute luck on my end. You know, my, my dad had been pushing me to get in the stock market for the longest time because I had a knack for statistical analysis and that was where I got my start. Then I realized quickly, I had to learn what I was doing because, you know, just randomly picking stocks and hoping they went up wasn't a good or sound investment strategy. So I started learning from websites like the Motley Fool, Seeking Alpha and worked my way to where I was actually a freelancer for both of those sites, went to another company and was in-house, ran a newsletter for a little bit. I then worked my way towards in-house roles on both the premium side of the Molly pool and the editorial side. I have since left there and just kind of jumped out on my own and finally queued up with you guys. But yeah, so I was on Twitter for a long time. It was a lot of fun. As you were saying, you know, I used to just fire off rockets, kind of talking about the socks that were surging because that's all they did for it feels like for maybe two, three years. And, you know, I just got tired of the game. It was one of those situations where I realized, you know, I, I have so many commitments, not only having three kids, having my job, having everything else that, you know, something had to be cut out. And it, it was so easy to choose social media as that thing to take off my plate. So yeah. And this was back in, I think February, 2021, after maybe a year of, you know, firing off the rockets and the Godzilla gifts. So I did not know what was coming, you know, that month, actually, I think it was like the tail end of February, 2021. And then March where things really took a dive, but I would love to say that I was timing the market perfectly, but you know, that's just kind of where, that's just kind of where I felt, you know, things are going great. This is a good time. You know, everybody's on top of the world right now. They won't even notice that I'm gone. That is savage. What a line. You put it on a t-shirt, hobby. <laughs> You're the opposite of Elon right now, like I said last week. 
Hi, Joey Rockets. Let's have you kick things off with the trending tickers of the week brought to you by StockTwits. QQQ, the S&P 500, both taking dives here. So it seems like the QQQ has just been a nosedive since November. It's just been an absolute bloodbath for all things technology. And now we get news that the S&P 500 is officially joining it in the bear market. And I was saying to you guys before the show, you know, this kind of feels like Bruce Willis standing in the top of the tower, looking down, saying, welcome to the party, pal. Like, that's pretty much what's going on. It's been such a bloodbath for the NASDAQ that it's only fitting that the S&P 500 finally hit that level this week. And I saw something along the lines of, you know, we haven't seen declines like this since the 1920s. And I think an eighth consecutive week would put it right there along with the Great Depression. So I'm hoping we don't see continued pain, but... I mean, I thought the pain would be over in February. I thought that in March. And now it's the situation where you just kind of throw up your hands and hope for the best going forward. Something that I was just thinking about more and more over the last few weeks is, you know, it kind of went through a range of risk when things were selling off. It started off with like, you know, every SPAC got crushed. Every high-flying, super high-flowing, innovative company started getting wrecked last February. And then it continued on, then it went to mid caps and then eventually led to big cap tech. And now I wonder if, you know, ARC retraced all the way back to its COVID lows. I don't think the S&P will necessarily go all the way to its COVID lows, but I could see it going to that like point where that 3,400 area where right before it broke back over and started this huge rally, like a, a retracement back to where uh, the norm in people's minds are kind of starting to look more and more realistic, especially as the queues are getting closer and closer. Like they're, they're pretty close now considering all these bang, uh, like decimations. You make a really good point there, kind of referencing back, you know, the last bloodbath to kind of see where we are in the market. So this is something I did even during COVID. I would reference back to Q4 2018. Anybody investing long enough remembers that was like the China trade talks, everything. It seemed like from July 2018 to... I call it Black Christmas 2018, where we just had a massive decline on Christmas Eve. It was just one of those, it just felt like a 1% down every single day, kind of like we've we've had since November, these last, what, six months now. So during COVID, I just kept referencing back, well, where did these stocks bottom out or what multiple range were they bottoming out Q4 2018? And I just continue to reference that back. And that's where some of my best plays were found. Now we're in a situation where, okay, let's reference back to where we hit those lows during COVID. Some of those stocks have more than broken through where they were before, especially anything that's gone public um, in the last year. So, so yeah, using that reference point is great, but then it's more so, you know, even if they were traced back to where they could have been, is that multiple still in line with, you know, the averages? And a lot of these companies are. So that's where it's been so hard for these companies to find a bottom. And you see when buyers move in, it's almost like they move in on an hourly rate and then they're in and out so quick. You think Tesla bottom now that uh, Kathy Wood as Roku is the number one? Is that is that true? Oh, yeah. That can't be true. No way. No, yeah, I got to look this up. No, yeah, that can't be real. We're keeping this well, so in too, boys. And the stock yeah. in Avo. <laughs> There's no way. Roku just took her number one spot. And that's absolute massive news. I was talking about this last week where, you know, Elon flew a little too close to the sun, got involved with the machine, and then now he's starting to come down a little bit, right? And I thought, obviously, he had to sell some shares in order to potentially buy Twitter. 
I don't think the deal is going to happen again, as I said last week, but this is pretty crazy. Like, is this the bottom for Tesla or, or maybe for all of growth stocks now that kind of Kathy's arcs cracked a little bit here? I just still can't believe that it's that close to Tesla. Like you, you can explain away having Tesla as your number one. You cannot explain having Zoom or Roku as your number one. That's just not okay in my mind. We had to re-record this part of the podcast because Tony and I absolutely did not believe Avi the yeah, first time you said that. Kid, Avo, man, I'm back. Like, <laughs> just, no, monkey, the monkey don't... vaccine call, dude. I, I will say, so I remember the first time I ever saw Kathy Wood on CBC, she was seen as this crazy lady saying Tesla was going to $4,000 per share. And they almost made like a joke of her on the show as if, this is insane. Look at this, what this lady's doing. And yeah, they far surpassed what that price target was. And, you know, Kathy's, it's almost like a reputation was built on Tesla. And I didn't think that anything would ever unseat it or that, you know, she would accumulate something else as, as massively as she did because her, her bullish thesis was so strong. And you could see where Tesla is such an incredible company, where it could go in the future. I just do not see the same type of growth prospects for Roku as much as I love the product and service. It's, uh, again, it, I find it very hard to believe that it, it's gotten to this point, but I guess she has been selling off Tesla along the way to beef up these other positions. And maybe this situation where this crossover then allows her to start piling back in. I mean, that's pure speculation on my part, but. Yeah, you tend Tony's to want to raise right button. now. By the way, she's just spending it so hard in the wrong direction. Like what she's doing is she's trying to slingshot. It's 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 what you do when you're down horrendous. Yeah, you slingshot, but like pick a better pick better names to slingshot with. Especially when you know, like you could just change that out for Shopify. Like the CEO bought ten million. Like I like if you're going to be degenerate, be more de- like be smarter about it far better company in my opinion than Roku Resume. But like, I also think that like the only reason she did so well in the upswing was hugely because of Tesla. Like you think about how much it ran up. Then you also think about like the net. I mean, she had yeah. all those during that run. Yeah, but like the effect of like having to sell Tesla when it gets over a certain percent because like the smartest thing would have been to never trim Tesla for her. Even if it got to 40, 50% of her portfolio, she would have been way more high like up than she is right now. So she has it backwards where she should not be trimming out her strong, like that market cap is way stronger. Even though Tesla's down 50%, so is your Amazon and so is your Google. Like that's just the market these days. And they're down 4% in the past month, pretty much since since that call. That's the, yes. I mean, the second he sold it, he broke all the liquidity you had and he just, he should have known better. I think that was a horrible move on Elon's part. But I will say like, I think Kathy should start thinking about doing something like, her 10% should be something like Google or her 10% should be something like if she wants to trim out when it goes higher, fine. Like you can do that and use the cash. But if Tesla is like going to get all this, this hate and like, she should not change it to Roku. She should at least let it be a big mega caps. How close is she to a uh, Hail Mary? Do you think she's getting to that point where she's trying for the slingshot? I mean, everything she owns right now is a Hail Mary because she, she's continued to sell good things and buy bad worst things. I, I will say there, there's one big investing, I guess, mindset or phrase that I'm, I've always had in the back of my head during these massive downturns is don't sell your winners to fund your losers. Mm-hmm. So I feel like in times of market turmoil like this is when big investors and, you know, I'm not sure where Kathy is in, you know, her train of thought, where her analysts are on, you know, the, the bull case for Tesla going forward. 
But I feel like in times of turmoil, you should turn to your absolute best jockey to, to try to win that race. Selling an absolute monster with arguably the most, I, I wouldn't even say arguably, with the most incredible CEO of our generation, yeah. incredible mind of our generation. You know, I, I feel like this is a time where you should be trimming off your big losers or moving on from socks that just have not panned out as you thought they would and piling more into the company that got you where you are or that essentially, you know, built your reputation as an analyst. So I feel like, yes, trimming off some of the, the bigger losers and, you know, one big holding of hers that comes to mind is Teladoc, where I know there is a bull case. I saw an interview where she was likening it to Amazon and where, you know, Amazon had that very rough stretch after its IPO where it fell at 80% from its high. And, and I get that. And I could see a day where, where Teladoc could rebound back to its former glory days. But I feel like she might be lost with this current strategy. And I'd love to, you know, see an update on know why a Roku should be in the same breath as the Tesla when it comes to total investment dollars. Yeah, it's pretty wild. I'm just looking at it. So she got Roku, Tesla, Zoom, Square, and Block, Teladoc, CRISPR, Coinbase, UiPath, Twilio. I honestly don't hate it. <laughs> I think she actually did. I did not know this in 2017 because I, I not only heard of her in 2020, 2017, she did 87%, 2019, 35%. 2018 and this year she's getting rocked but yeah and i feel like a lot of that a lot of her performance i would love to see you know what were the ones leading the way during those years and i feel like tesla would be that yeah. that huge waiting i told you it was so really i did the math i remember i don't remember what it was but it was a significant amount of her overall gains were tesla like a, a, a big part like more than any one big stock should be a percent of the gains it was that yeah all right let's move along boys Apple also showing a lot of weakness this week. We're just seeing bear news all around, right? We're going to talk about Target, Walmart, BJ's as well here from the retail side. Well, I think Tony kind of hit it perfectly where you saw, you know, last February and March line or, you know, multiple contractions started with the lowest quality names or the names that people did not trust. So immediately there was a distrust of SPACs in the projections. You know, everybody started questioning, well, can these facts really project out, you know, five, six years, come out with barely any revenue, but say that they're going to compound at this incredible rate. And so those were the first ones thrown out. Then, yeah, you get to the small caps and mid caps. And over the last maybe three months, people have been saying, you know, the big caps really haven't rolled over yet. And they would always spotlight Amazon, Google, and Apple. And I feel like Google started rolling over, Amazon started rolling over. Oh, but Apple's still here. And it, it was just time for Apple to, to finally pull in. And with the way the economy's going, you know, everything, inflation out of control, I feel like people are finally pulling back. And of course, a massive consumer electronics company is going to feel the pain that everybody else is. But it's still, I mean, it's Apple. We all live and die by our iPhones. We all subscribe to numerous services. I, I always get the bill, hey, you've been charged 99 cents for this and that. So... I feel like there's nothing really more to this story than it was finally time for that mega cat to pull in. Burry is super short Apple. He'll probably cover soon. Well, last time when he was short Tesla, he covered that like around when people saw that he was short Tesla. One thing on the big short report that I would add is, you know, a lot of people come out with these huge shorts and mega caps. It catches headlines. I get it. It's, it's great. 
But I want to see someone come out with so much confidence in someone like Apple to go that you're not just going to use you know an options play to do it. That would really catch my eye. But I feel like you know it's it was time for Apple to pull back, and I'm not someone that short stocks. I will say there was one time back in maybe it was like 2012. I have to ask my friend Ezra because he was in the office with me when I did it. We were both in the finance department of an engineering firm, and I shorted Amazon. I think it was like when it first crossed $300 a share. And I, I mean, I did not have a lot of money back then. I might've shorted like five shares and I was terrified. I think I covered it within like two days, made like 15 bucks and, and I chalked that up as a win, but I can say I'm probably one of the only people that ever shorted Amazon and won at that. I'm, I'm never one that wants to bet against companies I think will fail. I'd rather own shares than companies I think will succeed. But, you know, Burry, I mean, I think we all know why he's famous. So seeing what he's shorting, it, it's always worth noting, I guess. All the big retailers took big hits and obviously what's going on with China and then coming down over here with all of these supply chain issues. I think Apple's just so inextricably tied to China that any bad China news is horrible Apple news. And you know that Apple and the other fangs are already super weak. So this is just adding fuel to the fire kind of situation in my mind. And then of course you have like these ridiculous, like ridiculous inflation. You have ridiculous macro numbers on both sides. And then you have people like Bullard coming out and saying, we, this is not stagflation, even though it pretty, pretty much is. And so like all this news day in and day out that comes and hits retailers and hits tech and whatever, like things are getting, you know, for the third time, things are just getting beaten down in order of strength. If you think of like a Target or a Walmart or Costco, like those are pretty safe, funny years kind of like stocks. So they're hitting these now. I mean, they're hitting commodities a little bit now and those have been raging. So like housing is going to come too in like a couple months, housing is going to get hit in, in like places that don't have supply demand block. So I think we're just going down the list. And I, I definitely want to hear you touch on Costco though, Avi, because there is something like, I, I give you a lot of shit for a lot of things you try to call on here, but like there are some things that, that have happened. I was just breaking news. I was more concerned with the hot dog price initially. You know, I didn't even realize it was fake. <laughs> I just thought that was funny. It was like John B. Rich or something. Did you like, you told me the news that it dropped it like 13%. We talked about this, like, I think episode like two or three with the, how powerful these algos are. They're not that powerful if a meme can drop. Billions, like billions of dollars were lost from a, a I mean, like, and you could take it to the for that or like, what is that? He, can't, he didn't do anything wrong. It was like a funny beam, right? I think he'll definitely get subpoenaed. And then I also think that the, I mean, to the point of the algos not being strong, yeah, I think it took like a big short position on it or told someone he was going to do that. And then they did it. And it's like, I don't know. He'll definitely be looked into, I think. Yeah. But the point is like to the point of the uh, algos being not strong, I think that the only reason it sold off that way was because of like those processing, like there's algorithms that sweep the news all day long. We were joking about that a while back. If I just created a fake Trump tweet and said target to the moon, how do they know if you're joking or not? That, that's kind of crazy that the algos will pick that up and actually make those big swings. And I think you really have to put this into perspective by telling people, you know, Costco is what, a $185 billion company. So a 13% swing in a stock that large is not insignificant by any means. So yeah, this definitely wasn't, you know, retail investors looking at a tweet and saying, oh my God, we need to short this because the hot dog's going up by a dollar. <laughs> but I mean, it, that's the crazy times we're in. Where the House Republicans, 
retweeted that. <laughs> that's I mean, that's not the thing. So, so when you start seeing these, I guess, very large Twitter accounts, they can move markets so significantly. And I think that's one of the things that kind of started, you know, freaking me out about FinTwit. Now, I never did anything other than, you know, tweeting what stocks were going up with some rockets. I had a lot of fun with it. But, you know, if people were to take that too seriously and some algorithms would be triggered by a large account, I feel like it's like that Peter Parker with great power comes great responsibility. You know, at some point you have so many followers that there has to be some sort of restrictions, but you can't because then it's restricting free speech and you get in this, you know, dumpster fire that is social media today. And another reason that I want absolutely nothing to do with it other than, you know, just kicking back my Twitter account again, just to follow some news, be able to search some tickers and see what everybody else is talking about. Next up, we got the little lion, Jumia, ripping 30% this week off of earnings. Joe, are you telling me not to get too excited and play Lion King on repeat over and over again? Well, so look, people get excited about the story of Jumia because the digitization of Africa, the growth potential of a name like this is so, so significant that you want to say this could be the next Amazon, Mercado Libre, C-Limited, something like that. And I get that. It does have that sort of potential. But I have to reference back to something that the beloved Jim Cramer has continued to say for months now that you just cannot own these companies that are absolutely hemorrhaging money. It's just not the right market conditions to own names like this. And it's as beaten down as it is and as exciting as the growth prospects could be, the margins aren't there and they're just spending far too much to achieve this accelerating growth that they're seeing. So, you know, a lot of people like to hate Jim Cramer or talk about, you know, the accuracy of his picks of late, but you cannot throw away that, you know, he is an absolute legend in the hedge fund game. And he has been for the last six months now saying, you have to own companies that, you know, make products or do things that make money. And that then they return that to shareholders, whether it's share buybacks or dividends. So yes, even the profitable companies, the most profitable companies in the world have seen significant declines in their stock prices over the last, you know, six months or so, but they have not been nearly as significant as the money losing tech plays. So as much as I want to get bullish on Jumia or jump back on that, that train or, you know, back that little lion, as you would call her, I just can't justify risking, you know, what I have left in this market on a name like Jumia. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I agree with you 100%. I think it's just going to be one of those stocks that just ticks, 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 and then one day explodes or gets bought. My view was always that e-commerce in Africa eventually will get there. But you're right. I mean, they're hemorrhaging money. There's so many operational and, and logistics nightmares that it, it may still take a while. And to your point, in this environment, certainly not a stock that I'd want to like set as my base of the bonsai in any capacity. If you just wait a few weeks, you could buy Google down 90%. So just wait for that. Back the strong horse, as you saw in the uh, Kentucky Derby, right? Never long a shot. But I will say, you did make a very good point. You know, this is one that you could watch and wait for the right time. So I've showed you guys both, you know, the first time I ever bought Celsius, the stock with the stock symbol back then was CSUH. Now I did not hold those shares. I wish I would have, but it's the perfect case of, you know, it wasn't a good investment way back then, but I had it on a watch list for the next, what, 10 years. I didn't actually enter the stock in a significant way 
until what was it March or May 2020 when I saw this absolute blowout quarter and I was like, is this the time? Mm. And you saw the stock started to take off. I'm like, oh my God, it's happening. I've been waiting so long for this to happen. And sure enough, that was when it, it broke out and finally went. So you can have these stocks that you're really excited about, but you know, just it isn't the right time right now, but keep checking in on them. You know, note all their earnings releases, check those reports, see the action in the stock after those reports to see if maybe some institutions are finally getting involved in a significant way. Because yeah, that little line might not be breaking out in a significant way right now, back to those highs that they saw, but one day they might get their act together or stop losing so much money or something in that report will really catch your eye. And you're like, now's the time I got to jump on. All right, Tony, a lot going on in the crypto sphere. UST, Luna, obviously breaking news with the headlines. Coinbase, from a stock, a normal person perspective, you know, is obviously touching crypto. So do you want to just touch on from a high level UST? I can chime in a little bit too and, and kind of what happened and then see if that at all had an effect on Coinbase and, and what that could mean moving forward. Yeah, I mean, I think it definitely did. I think just to preface everything with Coinbase, like you can literally track the exact amount of volume that they do daily on their website in real time. So people were selling heavily into their earnings knowing that. But I also think crypto has been just running pretty much the same as all tech spin, but it also has these external things that have been just completely just destroying it. So Luna UST, it's under the Terra ecosystem. And basically it's a blockchain that was kind of created out of this assumption that no one likes central stable coins. So no one wants a CBDC, Avi. And that's why Luna existed. And that's exactly why they're coming after trying to make one right now because Luna failed. So UST was one of the most popular ones. USDC that maybe a lot of people know or like Tether that a lot of people talk about. They're trying to have the stablecoin pegged, right? One to one to what a dollar should be. And the way that UST was doing it was programmatically. So they were letting you exchange one UST for $1 worth of Luna which was the token that is in that ecosystem that is what I was trading last year as well. So if the peg dropped below $1 for where it was trying to keep that $1 base, buy that program where you could exchange it for Luna and swap in and out that kind of way, you could exchange one UST for $1 worth of Luna for a small fee and a profit. And if it went above, the opposite would happen. But you could also make profit because you can come in and out at any time. So you could basically trade around the peg and what happened was the peg dropped really hard on Monday and it wasn't able to absorb the huge amount of UST that was trying to get Luna, that $1 to Luna for profit, like trying to take it out. So basically that continued to happen. That spread kept going and the algo wasn't able to fix itself and basically just imploded. And it was like $18 billion of a stable coin. The whole purpose of the stable coin, as you were talking about, is to peg it against the dollar. So it's almost like a digital dollar. So it allows people to transfer with their digital wallets, dollars to a dollar. You could think of it as the same kind of uh, functionality as a Venmo, right? In the US, we don't really think of it so much, but in countries like in LATAM and throughout the world, those are very important. And Tony calls me a, a conspiracy theorist, but if anyone Googles all the governments that are actually creating their own stable tokens right now and stable coins right now, you know, it's very easy to see. <laughs> so they all are. I mean, it's, it's not, it's, they're not even no, I mean, like a conspiracy. It's no, I, I don't even disagree with you. That is like the future. That's where it's going to go. But I still think that there's something to say for them. Not like no matter what anyone regulates or does, you're not going to change the decentralized space. It's just not technologically possible. How did that affect Coinbase, if anything at all? I think on top of just the horrible general markets, like just 
looking at the NASDAQ, right? Because Coinbase is at the least going down as much as the NASDAQ is going down on any day, at least, if not two to three times as much. So that's the first part. And then knowing that they had earnings coming up and since crypto is down, just like logically, if you think about percents, right? Like when you do transactions between cryptocurrencies, you make a lot more volume when the coins are higher. So that definitely got impacted because UST caused so much Bitcoin to be liquidated because UST was heavily backed by Bitcoin. And so you think about like just the internal contagion that could happen in crypto from that, it happened. Like things were dying. Everything died. Everything was just like down 30, 40, 50% in one day because of USD. Besides like the main coins, like ETH and Bitcoin were like a little bit relatively better. It's incredibly shocking to me that ETH is over 2,000. It's shocking that Bitcoin's still at 30,000. Like logically thinking about it, if price don't go down, price go up. Like that is the simplest shit ever. You know, like I always hear people talk about like the easiest way to know how to do good is like put your finger at the bottom of bottom left of the graph and then just bring it to the top right of the graph and whatever stocks are doing that, buy those. And then when it stops doing that, sell them. Like that's it's like, I've heard that for so many years. It's like people trying to just dumb it down and sell the which that. basically means <laughs> price rules everything around me. And so am I even more bullish in the long term development of blockchain and everything crypto? Yeah. Like, ETH should be sub 1000 and it's a way riskier asset. So it should have gotten sold off. Why, why has your position changed on that real quick? You were, you were super bullish before. So was there a catalyst or something that. Avi, conditions change. You better change too. Oh, of course. Yeah. But I know what, yeah. what was the conditions that changed for you? It's fed. It's always been the fed. It was fed on the way up. Uh, it's fed on the way down. I'm saying that the, the correlation. Like, there's another caveat too, too, is the fact that like people construe it as like an inflation hedge, which I don't know how much of that narrative is in there. I don't know how much of that narrative is priced in that's holding it up. So when inflation turns, does it turn down? There's a lot of things that I've actually like been thinking, I don't know where it's going. But in the long term, like if you give five to 10 years looking out that way, do I think that blockchain is going to be integrated into every single financial payment structure we have? A hundred percent. Like it's going to be everywhere. Just technology. I don't know if it's the coin, this and that, but the technology will be. Yeah. I mean, I, I see it every day. Joey, we're putting you to sleep over there, man. So let's, let's bring it back. We usually have Tony wrap up the week, you know, some thoughts for the week ahead. So, you know, for you being the first time here on Down in the Table, and we're really excited to continue with you. What are you going to, what are you going to bring to the table? You get appetizers? What? I'm just going to bring some, some fun conversation, hopefully some good insights things that I've learned you know, since I first got started. And, you know, it's one of those situations where you know, people always ask me, what's my biggest weakness as, a, as an investor? It's, you know, my time in the market isn't nearly as significant as some other people where I haven't seen massive bear markets or lengthy bear markets like other people have. And I feel like we're all getting our beaks wet in a very nasty extended bear market now. And I think the S&P finally touching that shows that you know, now everybody is feeling what us that are heavily invested in tech are feeling. So not to not to say that I think it's going to keep going on. I hope it doesn't. But hey, when it comes to when it comes to the market, you really never know what you're going to get. So you know, I'd say keep investing. Don't don't run for the hills just yet. Stick with quality, and you know, just just hold on for dear life. And with that, Tony, did you want to say something? You're about to jump in. I'll go for it. I just felt like I have, I have something to say. Cause like, it's a big thing. Like we have Joey here now and I'm excited for it. Like there's a lot of shit that I didn't know. There's a lot of shit I still don't know. 
And there's lots of the Joey knows that I don't know. And there's a lot of things that I know that he doesn't know. So it's going to be really nice to have that back and forth and you helping us guide it through the way. Yeah. So like, I know that over the last year, it's been rough for literally everybody. Like, even if you're playing the downside, the bad vibes are the bad vibes. And that's what happens when the markets are down. And if you care about this stuff, the way that like I do and the way that Joey does, and even Avi does, even though he's not a stock guy, he's just a retail guy, he says, but he cares too. Everyone gives a big shit about this. And so seeing everyone have tough times, like we want to be here to help. We want to be here to do the best that we can. And so we're going to keep doing that. Like that's all this is. That's why we're bringing on the best to help us crush even harder. That's a big move. Big money, big money. Once I hit like 15,000 followers. And I, yeah, I, I think it had like 3,000 people voting. I was like, hey, do you prefer the Rockets or the baby Godzilla? And somehow the Rockets won by like a 70% landslide. And I was shocked. And I was actually somewhat devastated because I thought the baby Godzilla was so cool. <laughs> but from that point forward, it's like, fine, I'll give the people what they want. So it was just the Rocket show. Shawty sliding, she wants sushi, she wants eel sauce with a rice. I just peel off with the light.